0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning, Wildwood, and happy Father's Day to the fathers who are with us. Excited that we have the chance to gather and to worship today as we continue our time in worship by looking into God's Word. Specifically today, we're going to be looking at another section of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is this long sermon that Jesus preached fairly early on in His ministry that was representative of the things that Jesus taught. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we've been walking through over the last number of weeks these verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And most recently in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we have seen Jesus directing His conversation towards us in the areas of our religious life and really challenging us to have authenticity in our religious life, the way that we worship, in the way that we give. We saw that last week, and this week in the way that we pray, and in the way that we fast. And so... What we've seen throughout this study is that Jesus is wanting us to be authentic. He's not wanting us to have our religious life be a performance for other people, but He wants us to be authentic in our religious actions. And a summary of that is found in chapter 6 and verse 1 where Jesus says, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven.'" And so Jesus wants us to practice our spiritual life before Him, before our Heavenly Father. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about having that kind of authenticity in our prayer life and in our fasting in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to take us back where we were last week, and that was a simple question. How many of you ever dress up for a holiday or a party? Now, as you dress up for a holiday or a party, at times you may tie your costume to a contemporary or current event. You know, sometimes there are people who get dressed up uh, as a political candidate in an election year. Now, that can be dangerous. Uh, but, but other times we might tie our costume to something else that is happening. So I want to just show you a picture of our, our son and... He was dressed up, this is last year for Halloween. So remember, this is October 2016 after August 2016. So think about this. Who do you think he was dressed up as there? Michael Phelps, right? He was dressed up as, as Michael Phelps for the holiday last year. Now, the, the point when you get dressed up in an attire like this is for someone to think that you are someone that you're not. That's the whole point. You get dressed up in this costume so that people look at you in that costume and they say, oh, you look like so-and-so. That's the whole point. We're familiar with that with Halloween. We're familiar with that with costume parties. But sadly, we're also familiar with that in our spiritual lives, aren't we? That sometimes we get dressed up in our Christian attire and we want people to think that we are more spiritual than we are. Now, sometimes that can happen in our physical dress Uh, But other times, and more frequently, it happens in our actions and attitudes. We try to project an image of ourselves out to others so that they would think that we are more spiritual than we are. And what we saw last week is that Jesus sees right through that costume, and He sees us for who we really are. He sees right through that spiritual garb about us to see our hearts. And what He says to us is, I'm not that impressed, but I love you anyway. And His acceptance of us is not based on our ability to costume ourselves to look like a Christian, but it's based on what He will do for us when He died on the cross. And so when we come to worship, we should not come and try to just clothe ourselves in a spiritual disguise, but Jesus wants us to come with authenticity as we worship Him. And today we're going to see what authenticity looks like in our spiritual lives in the areas of prayer and fasting. And we see this as Jesus continues his Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to look at today verses 5 through 8 of chapter 6, and then on down in verses 16 through 18. As we did last week, we're skipping a few verses in the middle, the verses that contain the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be looking at those next Sunday together. So, Let me just read these verses for us, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, and then verses 16 to 18, and then we'll back up and see a little more in depth what their meaning is. Beginning in verse 5, Jesus continues His sermon and says this, "'And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others.'" Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then on down in verse 16. Now, in these verses today, we're going to see a couple of things that I think Jesus wants us to see. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We need to remember the audience of our prayer. We need to remember the audience of our prayer. Now, we see this in verses 5 and following, that Jesus is clearly here talking about the topic of prayer. He begins in verse 5 and says, "'And when you pray.'" There's a discussion here about prayer, and this is a discussion that ought to hold some relevance to us because prayer is something that is all around us. I mean, we will pray oftentimes before meals. There'll be prayer with our children before they go to bed at night. There'll be prayer before athletic games that we attend. There'll be prayer before tests that you take if you're a student, or before an interview that you have if you're an adult. There are, are times that we will pray inside of our worship services. There are times that you will just stop and pray because of the awesome wonder of something that you've just seen. Prayer is all around us. We're surrounded by prayer. And this is not something that is unique only to us, but this is something that is common among all people. People all over the world, even regardless of their religion, Prayer is a part of their religious experience. And so Jesus knows that. And Jesus talks about prayer specifically. Don't you want to know what Jesus has to say about prayer? Yeah, you want to know. And here's why, because I think you're like me. Though prayer is all around us, how satisfied are we with our prayer lives? It's a common theme as we talk to fellow believers that prayer is something that we struggle with or we wish that we had more intimacy in our prayer life or whatever it is though prayer is all around us, we're not fully satisfied with it. So wouldn't it be wonderful to hear what Jesus had to say about prayer? Well, thankfully, he, he teaches us on it. He, he opened his mouth. Matthew transcribed it for us. He writes it down and includes it inside of the gospel so that we would understand what Jesus had to say about prayer. And so Jesus teaches about prayer. Now, what does he say about prayer? Prayer. Well, Jesus knows it's important to clarify an understanding of prayer because in the first century, there was a very common example of prayer that people saw, and that was the prayers that were offered by the most religious people of that day, by the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees were people who prayed a lot. As a matter of fact, they they prayed a lot of private prayers public. Did you catch that? They were really interested in you knowing how much they prayed. And so if they prayed in private, you might not know about it and that wasn't any fun. And so what they would do is they would offer their private prayers in public. They would go onto the street corner and they would pray out loud, oh Lord, oh Lord, thank you that I am so righteous. Thank you that I am more righteous than that sinner. Somebody came up to me after 8.30 and said that I pointed at them when I said that. I I promise if I pointed at you just now, I wasn't thinking of just you. Jesus tells a parable this way, right? The, the, the Pharisees would often pray, oh Lord, thank you that I'm not a sinner like that person. And they would pray out loud and they would pray often and they would pray on the street corner and they would pray out loud in the synagogue. They, they prayed their private prayers public because they wanted everybody around them to know just how much they were praying. And so this was the, the, the contemporary example of prayer that they had. And Jesus Understanding that corrects that understanding. He says the the, the purpose or the point of our prayer is not to pray in such a way that other people hear us pray. The purpose and the point of prayer is to communicate with the God of the universe. See, if our purpose and point in prayer is to impress those around us, we might succeed. You know, it's possible that we can pray in such a way that those will, around us will look at us and go, man, that was quite the prayer. That guy has got a deep spiritual life. That woman is so spiritual. It's possible for us to pray in such a way that those around us applaud. But What Jesus wanted us to know is that there is something more to our prayer life than just impressing other people prayer at its very core is communicating with the God of the universe. And so Jesus wants us to remember the audience of our prayer, that we are people who are supposed to be communicating with God, who have the privilege of praying and talking with Him. And so Jesus talks about how you get out of this loop of merely just praying to impress others. He says here in verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is it that Jesus is talking about here? Now, at first reading, we might think that Jesus here is condemning any kind of corporate prayer, any kind of prayer with others. Is, is Jesus here saying that we shouldn't pray with our kids at night? Is Jesus here saying that we shouldn't pray as a family before a meal? Is he saying that we shouldn't pray as a group of people who gather together because we're not behind a secret door? We're we're out and open. And I'm on a microphone for crying out loud. And when you sit at your table and you pray with a friend, you're on a a microphone of sorts as well. Is Jesus here saying that we shouldn't pray publicly? No, that's not the point at all. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't pray publicly publicly. What he is saying is, is if you are to pray privately, just with God, then, then pray your private prayers private. If you're going to pray publicly, you can pray publicly. But even in your public prayer, remember that your audience is God. Remember that He is the one that you are talking to. Remember that He is the one who you are interacting with. You know, this is something that we need to remember and, and apply inside of our world because sometimes many of us in this room are parents. It's Father's Day, there's parents here. You know, we, we get into the habit of praying um, with our, our kids at times, maybe at bedtime or, or at a mealtime or whatever. And we think the, 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 the importance of that prayer is for us to pray near our kids so they hear us praying. And there certainly is some instruction that's involved there. I, I totally understand that and believe that. But if we begin to think that our prayer is primarily targeted at our kids to teach them and not at God who we get to talk to, then what are we teaching them to do but to perform for others? When we pray, we need to remember the audience of our prayer is God. We need to truly talk with Him, whether we are praying with our children or alone, whether we are praying at a meal or alone. See, sometimes it's possible for us to begin to think that prayer is talking to each other or even to our food. Sometimes, does this happen at your house, that, that prayer over a meal is like the, the, the start gun to the race of eating dinner? or eating breakfast or eating lunch, that you have to pray in order to eat. I don't know if anybody's family is that way, but it's that way in our house. And at times we even eat in waves because, you know, I, I might get to the table at one time and Kimberly might get to the table at a different time and Josh is doing something. And so at times we don't always sit down at the same moment and eat all at the exact same time. But, but we have this tradition of praying at our, at our table. And so sometimes I, I feel like when I pray, I'm just praying to like sound the start gun so that we can eat. Has that ever happened to anybody? I mean, I'm going to say this not to my credit but to my shame because I've forgotten in those moments, what am I doing? Am I, am I just saying the words? Am I just firing the gun? Am I just speaking to my food? Or am I talking to the God of the universe? See, we, we can lose sight of the privilege that we have in prayer when we become so routine in our practice of it. We can think that it's merely to talk to those around us or, or merely to talk to the things in our life but not talking to him. See, prayer if, if, is nothing if it's not talking to the God of the universe. And so Jesus steps into our experience and he says, hey, remember your audience. Remember your heavenly father. And it's to him who you're praying. And that, that's why he, he tells us to, to step into the secret room and to close the door behind. Why does he say that? He says, step into a place outside of this world and remove the distractions around you so that you remember that your audience is God. See, sometimes in the world around us, we, we have a hard time getting away from each other, right? We're, there's people everywhere. There's, there's noise all around us. Our cell phone's always buzzing and ringing, and TVs are always on, and radio's always playing, and people are walking around us. And sometimes in the midst of all of that contact and all of that noise, We can begin to think that this is all there is, but when we get to the secret place, when we get to that private zone of our life and we close the door and we remove the distractions, we're reminded of the reality of our heavenly father. Jesus says, step into the secret place outside of the street corner, out of the synagogue, close the door and spend some time in prayer remembering the reality of our heavenly father. Because here's the thing, he says that the God who sees in secret will reward us What's he talking about? The psalmist would say it this way. There's nowhere we can go on this earth that is outside of the presence of our God. When you go into the secret place, whether it's in your car, when you close the door and you're driving to work with the radio off, or whether it is by your bedside at night or in the early morning or that chair that you have a chance to sit in or your desk at the beginning of the day or your desk at the end of the day or wherever it is that is your private place where distractions can be removed, in that moment there may be no one else around, but guess who is? Our Heavenly Father. And we can talk to Him there. You know what's interesting? When Jesus teaches this, He says that go into your secret room, your, your private place. You know, you know what the original language word is for that, that secret room or that private place? You know, you know what that word was? It was the word for a closet or a storeroom where treasure might be kept. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, just a few verses later, will talk about laying up for ourselves treasure where? In heaven. When we close out the distractions, and we communicate with our Heavenly Father in His presence, we remember the blessings that only He can give, the blessings of His peace that passes all understanding, where our anxiety can be replaced with His peace. That's found in the place of prayer, the secret place, the the storeroom, if you will, the treasure chest, as we close out the world and we remember the reality of our identity in Christ. We have the privilege of talking to the God of the universe, of remembering that we're his child, of engaging him in in conversation. We need to remember the audience of our prayer and not primarily just as an opportunity for us to impress those around us and interact, interact with those around us, but to be in communication and fellowship with the God who created us. That's the privilege that we have in prayer. And whether you're the only one praying or you're in a group of seven or eight, remember, or a group of of three or 400, like a room like this, just remember who we're talking to. We're talking to the God of the universe. And guess what? Friends, he is dying to talk to us. He sent his son to die so that we might have an audience before him, not for a moment, but for forever. We have the privilege of communicating with him. Let's remember that. Jesus says, go into that private place, remember the reality of your heavenly Father and just talk with Him. Now, part of remembering our audience, remembering our heavenly Father is remembering that He is the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that He is our heavenly Father as described for us in Scripture, that He's not just some figment of our imagination or some myth, or He's certainly not like the pagan gods. See, in the first century, not everybody was a Jew. There were were pagan gods who were out there. And and one of the practices of religion in the early, uh, in the first century by those who weren't Jewish is they had this belief that, that if you just said the prayers enough times, if you just said phrases enough, if you just mumbled about for long enough that you might wear God down, if you just flattered God enough, you might convince him to do something that he was not otherwise inclined to do. That was the idea of the pagan religion. But Jesus says, hey, remember who your audience is. Remember who you're talking to. You're talking to your heavenly father who loves you and who cares for you and who provides for you. You need not convince him to listen to your prayer. If you are in Christ, his ear is attentive to us. He wants to be around us. He wants to be near us. Therefore, it is not necessary for us to just heap up empty phrases, because here's what Jesus says. It's possible for us to take an attitude towards prayer that's just about volume, that's that's just about saying something, that's just about going through the motions for an extended period of time. And Jesus says, that is not the way that you communicate to the living God. He says in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, what is he talking about here, heaping up empty phrases as the Gentiles do? The, the word in the original language that is translated here, empty phrases, uh, is a unique word. It's found here only in the New Testament. We don't have any record of it in other ancient literature, but I think that the idea here is would be the equivalent of what we would say as like mumbo-jumbo, um, yada, 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 just just blah, 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 just saying stuff. God is not interested in us just filling up time and prayer by mumbling about. He wants our minds to be engaged. He doesn't want us just to to mutter through. And I think that this is an, an important application on a number of levels because Jesus offers this teaching just before He teaches the Lord's Prayer. And What has the world done with the Lord's Prayer? At times, it becomes something that we repeat mindlessly. Now, know this. I grew up in a tradition where we prayed the Lord's Prayer all the time, collectively together, and at Wildwood, we will pray the Lord's Prayer many times together as a part of our worship as well. But here's the thing. If we ever fall into a rut of just muttering through those words without thinking about what we're saying then we are actually violating the principle that Jesus just gave us. We are not to just mutter about with brain disengaged, but our mind should be involved as we pray. We should be engaged in thinking about what we're saying. It's not just true inside of liturgical things like the Lord's Prayer that we might recite from memory, but it's also true inside of our other prayer life. Let me me just offer this. It's an analysis based fully on my own experience, so just I'm analyzing me, but but most of us in this room have a go-to prayer, a go-to prayer. If I would just turn right now and say, "David, pray," David's going to stand up and he's going to begin to pray a similar prayer that he's always prayed. And and many times we'll we'll begin there. Uh, if I were to walk around and say, "Hey, Murray, pray," Murray's going to stand up and he's going to begin to pray as as Murray prays. And you know what? There's a, a normal part of that where we'll speak for a while until our our mind catches up, but you know sometimes it doesn't. If we're honest, right? Have you ever prayed an entire prayer for someone, for something, for some meal, and you really have no idea what you said, but you just said it because you were on autopilot? Whether it's liturgy or whether it's made up in our own liturgy of our lives, it's possible for us to pray without thinking about it, and that is not what God desires. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, to repeat a form of prayer a very large number of times, has always seemed to the ignorantly religious to be a praiseworthy thing. But assuredly, it is not so. It is a mere exercise of memory and of the organs of noisemaking. And it is an absurd to imagine that such a parrot exercise could be pleasing to the living God." Friends, we, we don't just pray just to kill some time. We need to remember our audience of prayer as a living God. Therefore, engage our minds. Think about what we're saying and communicate to Him. As we gather in that secret place, as we remember our audience, let's engage our brains and let's actually talk with the God who created us. Now, as we do so, we need to remember our Heavenly Father as well. Our Heavenly Father is omnipotent. He can do all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Therefore, when we gather in prayer, we don't need to tell him information he does not already know. That's why it makes no sense for us to conceal sin and not confess it. What, you think you slipped one past him? He's the God of the universe. He understands these things. He knows it. But it's not that we go in prayer in order to declare things to God so that he would know them. But there's an issue of fellowship that is connected to our time in prayer. And it says in, in, in verse 8 here, he says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I had an example that maybe will help you with this. I connected to this last weekend for my son and I. Josh is here with me in this service. Uh, we had the privilege of going and participating in a father-son basketball camp at OU this weekend. And so uh, we checked into Walker Tower. We're living in Walker Tower together. We're out practicing basketball, it was, I'm I'm exhausted, all right? Um, I'm incredibly sore. You have no idea how sore I am, I just told you. So uh, very, very sore, but but a great time. But over about a 24-hour period of time, we were never more than an arm's reach away from one another. There's really not much that he experienced that I didn't experience or I experienced that he didn't experience in those uh, couple of days. But you know, when we got home yesterday from camp, you know what we did yesterday afternoon and evening? We spent time telling each other about it. Hey, you remember when this happened? That was pretty deep. You remember that? Remember that? And you know, when, when uh, my wife Kimberly came in, uh, we were telling her about it and we were kind of you know, reliving the moment with her and telling her these stories and this happened and that happened. You know what? I'm engaged in that conversation. I was present with my son in that conversation. He didn't need to tell me information I didn't know, but I was interested in it because of my connection to him. And as we talked about it there was intimacy and there's friendship and there's fellowship that we got to go through and as we gathered with others there was intimacy and and fellowship that we got to go through together that's just the way it is and when we pray we don't pray to God so that he finds out things that we don't that he doesn't know we we pray to God so that we can remind ourselves of who he is and his connection to us John Calvin said this it says believers do not pray with a view of informing god about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant on the contrary they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others, all good things. Friends, we need to remember the audience of our prayers. the God of the universe. Now, what are some applications we would take from this section of these words? The first thing I think it's important for us to see is this. We need to develop a private prayer life. Develop a private prayer life. You have the opportunity to connect with the God of the universe, so connect with him. Develop a a rhythm in your life where there's a place where you close out the distractions around you and you hit your knees or you close your eyes or you go for a walk or you turn off the radio, and in those moments you are talking to the God who created you. There is fellowship that happens in the midst of that the storeroom of heaven. You have the opportunity to meet with God there wherever you are. Develop a private prayer life. Second thing that I would would say would be an application from this is to remember the audience of our prayer. Remember the audience of our prayer. Don't go to God thinking that He's mostly interested in us just killing time with Him. But remember that He's the one who can do all things. He's the one who knows all things. He's the one who sent his son to die for you. He wants to be in fellowship with you. So as you gather, remember who you're talking to and address your conversation there. Don't merely look at prayer as something to impress your family or your kids or for them or for others. It's an opportunity for you to communicate with a God who created you. And the third thing I think that I would encourage us with is to engage our minds. To engage our minds. Let me just issue a challenge. This, is, this challenge goes to all of us. Josh, you're gonna hold me to this, okay? Challenge for all of us this week drop your go to prayer. Drop your go to prayer. If you have to pull out a thesaurus for this week, get out a thesaurus for this week to come up with some different words. But drop your go to prayer and, and really pray. So, in the times when you're gonna gather around the table to pray for a meal, if you would normally say, you know, the, maybe you've got a little song that you sing, that's awesome. If you've got a song that you sing, that's, I'm not saying throw it away forever. I'm saying this week, use different words. Engage your mind. Think of who you're talking to. I'm not saying you have to spend hours and hours and hours. I'm just saying just engage your mind as you pray. Break the rhythm, break the pattern, and really communicate with God this week. First thing we see is that we're to remember the audience of our prayer. John Stott says this about this. He says, to sum up what Jesus forbid his people is any kind of prayer with the mouth when the mind is not engaged. Let's hear the words of Christ and lean into them this week. Remember the audience of our prayer. The second thing we see is Jesus teaches and says, remember our need as we fast remember our need as we fast. Now, just as ubiquitous as prayer is, just as common as it is to our experience and our world, then we get to fasting. And you know, when I, when I say this, just as with prayer, you're like, yeah, I really you know, want to know how to do that. I want to do that better. When I get to fasting, let's be honest, some of you are going, tell me that's not for us. And, and you say that for a couple of reasons. One is it sounds uncomfortable And and the second reason why we say it is because it may not have been a part of our spiritual disciplines or spiritual practice, because we haven't talked about it that much. And so when we see Jesus talking about fasting here, we can begin to get a little uncomfortable. And yet Jesus, when He teaches, He begins His discussion about fasting the same way He does about giving, the same way He does about prayer. He doesn't say, if you fast, He says, and when you fast. So, there's something in here for us about fasting. Now, it's interesting for us to understand a few things about fasting that will help us to understand this passage a little more. In the first century, fasting was very common among the Pharisees. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 18 and verse 12, uh, it is mentioned that the Pharisees fasted like twice a week. They would would skip a meal. And, and, And as they would do so, remember these are the Pharisees and scribes. How would they do it? in a way that you would know that they were fasting, right? That's just the way they did everything. They always wanted us to know what they were up to. And twice a week, the Pharisees would skip a meal as a part of their outward expression of their uh, spiritual life so that others might applaud them. That just was part of the package in what they were doing. But when we look at the Old Testament, what we find is that that two times a week fasting was not something that was anchored in the Old Testament. That was something they had added to it. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there's only one time that a a year that the entire nation of Israel was required to fast, and Leviticus 23 tells us that was at the Day of Atonement. So at the Day of Atonement, the nation of Israel would fast as a part of their worship one time every year. And so, when we we see that, that was the only time it was required, and as believers in Christ who now live inside of a perpetual day of atonement, as Christ has died on the cross for our sins, it seems as though we, we no longer practice that holiday and that practice as a requirement once a year on that day is somehow removed from us. And yet, when we look at the Old Testament, we find that there were a number of other times when there was fasting that took place, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New, that was not a requirement, but was an optional practice as an occasional thing as a part of the spiritual life. And we see there are two different times and seasons where fasting typically took place inside of the Scripture. One time was during a time of repentance, There are a number of examples in Scripture where God's people repented, and as a part of that repentance, there was fasting that took place. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, a fast was called as the nation was repenting of their sin before God and marrying foreign wives and a variety of other things. In Jonah chapter 3 and verse 5, there's repentance uh, and, and fasting associated with it when the people of Nineveh turn and confess. Their sin in the presence of a man that had just been thrown up by a fish. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, there is fasting that takes place as a part of repentance as the nation of Israel is repenting of their sins. And in Acts chapter 9, verses 8 to 11 in the New Testament, we have the Apostle Paul fasting around the time of his conversion. And so we have in all of these instances examples of occasional fasting at a time of repentance. But we also have another kind of fasting—fasting fasting that happened around major decisions. There are some times where there was fasting around major decisions. In Exodus chapter thirty-four, verse twenty-eight, when the covenant of God was re to the people, Moses spent some time in fasting. He understood the significance of that moment, and so he spent some time fasting. In Second Chronicles chapter twenty, verses one through three. We see Jehoshaphat fasting when the armies of Moab and Ammon are are pressing in on the nation of Israel and he knew that they needed God for their liberation and for their life and so a fast and prayer happened. In Esther chapter 4 verses 16 and 17, Esther calls for a prayer among the Jewish people as she is getting ready to go and confront the king and ask for the life of her people and so the significance of that moment, there was fasting behind that. In in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, Jesus Himself fasted before the beginning of His public ministry. And in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, we see fasting happening by the early church before the setting aside of Paul and Barnabas for their missionary journey. And so what we see in Scripture is these, these two times for optional fasts were a part of the experience of God's people for either repentance or for seeking the Lord's direction about significant decisions. Now, in both of those instances, the idea was the same. It was to remember the great need that people had before God. that Their fasting and their hunger reminded them of their dependence. We are totally dependent creatures. If you don't give us water, food, and sleep, we're not going to make it. You take away oxygen, we're out of here. And so, at times, it's helpful for us to remove something that we need in order to remember that we are needy people. And so, at a time when we need forgiveness, to remove food as a reminder of our need for forgiveness is a way of extending some extra time in 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 prayer and fellowship with God and worship as we are reminded through our hunger of our need for forgiveness and. In a time of major decision, we spend that time removing food and praying to be reminded of our need for God's direction in our lives. In both instances, it's about our need that we remember. It's interesting, Jesus correctly addresses the issue of fasting with the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, you guys are using this practice in order to impress each other You're walking around while you're fasting, and it says that they are, verse 16, it says, you look gloomy, and you disfigure your faces. Now, what is he talking about there? It meant that they were just doing everything they could to let you know they were fasting. Just as they would pray on the street corners, when they were fasting, you knew about it. They wouldn't shower on that day. They looked rough. They wore their old clothes. They walked around going, I am so hungry. Translation, don't you see how spiritual I am? And Jesus said, your fasting is not about impressing other people. Your fasting is, desi- excuse me, is designed to help you remember your dependence upon God. And if you're fasting for any other reason, you're missing the boat. Jesus said, when, when you fast, wash your face, anoint your head. Wash, you know, you're, let God be the one who knows that you're fasting. Your, your hunger is a little time between you and him not to impress your friends. So how do we apply this? A couple of things. One thing I would just challenge us with is this. Is fasting a part of your spiritual life? Is it it a part of your spiritual diet, if you will? Now, when, when when I say that, some of you are going, I've never fasted in my entire life. And that's okay. This was an occasional thing and it's optional. But The next time you're faced with a significant decision, do I take that job or not? Do I marry that person or not? Do I walk away from this relationship or not? Do we make this this major life decision or not? Maybe skip a meal. Drop lunch that week. Just spend some extra time in prayer and let your hunger remind you of your need for God. Jesus knew that our physical and our spiritual lives intertwine, right? Our hunger reminds us of our dependence in other areas, and that it would be a reminder of our dependence upon God. I know uh, for me personally, this is not something I I don't fast regularly, and me even mentioning this from a personal example, I'm violating what the passage is saying. So I won't tell you, but I, I will say that in my life, it's not something that happens all the time, but I have fasted at times when major decisions need to be made, that God would provide direction. And and the hunger that I felt reminded me to pray. That's the second thing. As you fast, remember your dependence upon Him. It's not just something that you do just to kill some time or to say that you did it, but let the hunger that you have as you skip one meal, skip two, have it be something that reminds you of your need for His direction. Father, we thank You for privilege of looking at Your Word and being challenged by it. And Father, we pray today that we would be people who would remember our great need for You, that we would lean in to You, our Heavenly Father, and that we would just spend our, our time and our spiritual life not trying to impress others, but being dependent upon You and fellowship with You and communion with You and dependent upon You for all things. We need You, Father. Oh, we need You. Every hour, we need You. We respond to you in song. In Jesus' name.